Good morning, friends. It's really good to see you here this morning at St. Matthew's. This is the way Psalm 105 begins. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. We're going to do that as we stand and sing Christ whose glory fills the skies. Please stand and let's sing together. St. Matthew's this morning, both to those of you who are here in the building and to those of you who are joining us online. It's really good to see you. It's nice to be back. Uh, for those of you who haven't met me, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the ministers here. And when I say it's nice to be back, we've just had a couple of weeks holiday in uh, country New South Wales, catching up with lots of family. And I can, get, I can recommend, if you're wondering, if you go to a, a country town starting with the letter C, try the coffee. We went to three places, Coolamon, Cootamundra and Cowra. Great coffee in each place. So it is nice to be back, though. We do, did miss uh, being with you. We had a great time of fellowship, actually, with some brothers and sisters in uh, South Walker Presbyterian Church when we were down there and also up at Springwood Anglican Church last weekend. Well, today uh, we wake up with a new government and prime minister to pray for. So amongst the things that we do this morning, as we come to prayers, we'll be praying for our government. We're also coming to really the, the second sermon on a section of the book of Romans, uh, which is not easy to listen to. That is, that part of the, the Bible we heard last week uh, shows that those, those who approve of doing evil stand under God, God's condemnation. But we're going to hear today as well that those who may be religious-minded, may be upright, 
but who harshly judge others also stand under God's judgment. In fact, what we find as we read through the book of Romans is that it's a pretty level playing field. All of us alike have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, why would we bother listening to this? Well, it's because that bad news is the essential background to the wonderful news of salvation that is available for us in Christ by faith in him. So I'm really looking forward to hearing Nathan speak uh, on that second part of that section of the book of Romans a little later in our service. We'll also be singing again a little later, but right now we're going to enter into an extended time of prayer, uh, uh, praying for a number of things. Uh, in the middle of that we'll be reciting a psalm together, but we're going to begin with a prayer of preparation, which is quite familiar to those of us who are here regularly, praying for God's help in the rest of our time as we gather together as his people. So please join me. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord, amen. We move now to a prayer of thankfulness. Even in the difficulties of life, it may be small and large things, above all, the knowledge of Christ, for which we can give God thanks. So please join me as we thank God, our great and kind God. Gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us, the life and health and safety, the power to work, leisure to rest, and for all that is beautiful in creation and human life. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for the gift of your spirit, and for the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now we're going to read Psalm 95 together. This has had a prominent part in the Church of England uh, ever since we had the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, as an opening feature in the morning prayer service. And it's one in which we urge each other to listen to God's word very carefully, even as we praise him and sing for joy to him. I might get you to stand as we say this together. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where our ancestors tested me, though they tried me, though they'd seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, 
and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Amen. Please be seated. As we move to a time of prayer, I'm going to read a couple of sections of scripture from people who were caught up in massive empires, which were not friendly to God's people. Now, firstly, a young Daniel who found himself in the middle of the Babylonian empire and says this in, in chapter two of his book. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. And a second short reading I'll bring you is from the Apostle Paul, caught up in the Roman Empire, who says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So I'll lead us in some prayers and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Lord God, you are the one who changes times and seasons, who raises up leaders and brings them down. So we pray to you for the incoming, incoming Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese, and for the new government of Australia as it takes shape. We ask that all who are elected for the term of this parliament will work together in wisdom and integrity to meet the challenges of the day so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And Father, we give you thanks for the weekend away for some of the women of St. Matthew's last weekend. We thank you for the opportunity they had to gather together to be nourished by your word and be strengthened by your spirit as they engage with your word in the book of Jonah. And we pray that the growth that resulted from those talks will continue to shape the way that they live and that the new friendships forged will be lasting and helpful. And Lord, we give you thanks for the Alpha course as it enters its third session this week. We thank you for the increase in registrations this past week. We pray, Father, that you would work powerfully in the hearts of those who are hearing about your love for the first time. May they learn to trust and serve Jesus as Lord and Saviour, receiving the life and the hope that only he can bring. I'll give you an opportunity now to silently raise in prayer before our God people you know about whom you're concerned. Father, in this uh, broken and divided world, we face difficulties and uh, we ask especially for those that we've just lifted up before you, that in your mercy you'd comfort them and lift them up, that you provide them with the help that they need during this time of difficulty. Amen. And shall we pray the Lord's Prayer together? 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. In a moment, we'll be seeing the video news uh, for this week, and then our senior minister, Bruce, will have an update on the church's finances for us before we sing again. But I'll just mention that we're planning next Sunday that in our prayers, uh, we'll name brothers and sisters here for whom we're concerned. Uh, it may be uh, that you'd appreciate your, yourself being named there or that there's someone you know who with their permission you'd like to let us know about. Uh, we'll especially be praying for people who are long-term members of St Matthew's but are no longer able to join us, either because they're in uh, a full-time aged care or because they're confined to home or struggling with mobility. So do let us know uh, if you'd like prayer or if there's someone you know that you'd like us to be praying for next week. Uh, we'll see video news now. Well, hey there and welcome to St. Matthew's. It's fantastic that you've joined us today as we continue our look through the book of Romans. Now, if it's your first time with us, or perhaps you'd just like to get in touch, then you can find these little cards under the seat in front of you. Scan that code, it'll take you to our online connection card. Now, we'd particularly love to hear from you if there's anything that we can help you with. Of course, you can always just call the office and you can find the number for that on our website. Now, last week we let you know about the strong start that our Alpha course had. And today, I'm excited to report back to you about the Women's Weekend Away that happened last weekend. Over 70 women from across the congregations at St. Matt's went away for a weekend full of learning, fellowship, laughter and worship. It was a great time had by all and something to be sure to get along to next time. Special thanks to our speakers, Andy Jansen, Sky Wells and Marilyn Buckley, as well as Suzanne Smith for pulling everything together. And thank you, of course, to all the women who came along and made it such a great weekend. And thank you as well if you were praying. Your prayers clearly worked as God just did amazing things over that weekend. Now, I'm also excited to let you know about our confirmation service, which is coming up next Sunday at 5 p.m. It's been over three years since we've been able to run a confirmation service at St. Matt's. We have over 10 young people ready to stand up and publicly profess their faith in Jesus. Our Bishop Chris Edwards will be here and he'll be running the confirmation service and preaching on the next installment of Romans. For our regular 5 p.m. youth, that means there's no small groups, but we'll all be in the service, ready to be encouraged by those on stage, as well as encourage them. And for anyone else across the rest of our congregations, we'd love to see you there. Well, that's it for Church News this week. And if you missed anything, you can always catch up on YouTube or head to our church website. Or of course, you can see Bruce's weekly email. Good morning everyone. We're leaning to the left, is that because um, Labor got in? Anyway, sorry I couldn't help myself. It's very interesting when you stand up here and you see the way people sit. The king is dead, long live the king, anyway. Um, 
I'm up here to give a finance report. We've had our first four months uh, report, and if you get my weekly email, I did write about it, uh, but I did want to make sure everyone was aware of where we're at. And if you want the full report, go to my weekly email and you can download the full report from our Treasurer, Martin Mitchell. Um, just a couple of highlight uh, key things to uh, go through. First of all, uh, expenses are under control. Uh, that was the good news. Uh, so I'll start with the good news first. Um, the second thing to note uh, is that income and offertories are below what we budgeted. And uh, that's the challenge in terms of going forward, um, that we need to see our offertories go up. I think they're about 12 per cent behind what the budget was. Uh, it is worth saying when we budgeted, it was when uh, prior to the Omicron strain affecting everything. Uh, we were coming out of the Delta strain. There was a great deal of optimism. And that's when we put our budget together late October. Um, the third thing to note is, uh, because of that, we're behind about $39,000 uh, in terms of after the first four months. Um, and so that's our current situation. Uh, offertories, though, positively, they're actually up on last year's offertory. Uh, the reality is we took a significant dip after the Omicron, sorry, not the Omicron, the COVID-19 struck us um, at the beginning of 2020. And so we're yet to return to pre-pandemic levels, though we have increased uh, from where we got to within the middle of the pandemic. The challenge is for us to see our weekly offerings go up this year. And uh, so that's what I wanted to just speak very briefly about in terms of where we're at. And if you are new to St Maths, one of the things I'll be saying across the day is we would encourage you, if you think this is your spiritual home, to start giving, uh, contributing financially to the ministry. Uh, if you're a regular who comes, and I do want to say I know that there's many people who give regularly, a very big thank you to you. Uh, if you're in a situation where you can increase or give a one-off gift, that would be a great thing to do. Um, it's one thing I'm going to be looking at in terms of my own finances is where uh, we are at and what we can do in terms of making an increase and I'd encourage people to think about doing that as well. Um, and one thing I always say to people is um, the biblical principle is tithing, which is giving in proportion to income. And so if your income has gone up in the last couple of years, it's a good thing to increase your giving uh, in line with that. And that's the way the Bible speaks. We don't give equally, uh, rather we give proportionally according to how the Lord has blessed us. And I want to encourage you with a verse here. Uh, on the screen, if you can read this. Um, and it's always a great encouragement to me what Paul says. He says, whoever sows, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And it, it's a great principle. Uh, as you give, you are blessed. And that's my own personal experience. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I never want to try and compel people to give. I want to invite people to be a part of what's happening. And then he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, there's incredible blessing as we are generous to the work of God. And so if you're in a position where you're able to do that, that would be a great thing to do. Um, I always, um, it's, as a senior minister, you always check where we're at financially, and it's one of the things you live with, the tension of seeing uh, those realities. Um, it's worth saying, my experience of the parish has been that it, the parish has always been incredibly generous, and God works in mysterious ways. Um, one of the things we pray for every Tuesday is the finances, 
and I pray that by the end of the year we will make budget. And what's amazing is by the end of the year we always tend to make budget. And so uh, I'm here to say I'm not stressed, but I am saying it would be a great thing if you can be a part of uh, that solution. So if you've got any more questions, please don't feel um, you need to hide from me. Please do come and see me. I'm very happy to chat about it. Uh, and if you want to find out more information about giving, if you are new, simply go to our website and there's a give button up the top and it's got all the details, um, particularly for giving electronically, or you can give on the plate or give um, put some money in the uh, Lord's Treasury, or there's an electronic FPOS machine up the back as well. That's it for me, and uh, ironically, we're going to have our offertory hymn right now. So let's stand, and we're going to sing. friends. Our Bible reading is in two parts this morning. The first reading is on page 1127 of our church Bibles, page 1127, and I'll be reading Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. You therefore have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you are passing judgment to do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. 
So when you, a mere mortal, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, where his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are still self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favouritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Our second reading is found on the following page, page 1128 of the Church Bibles, and I'll be reading Romans 3, verses 9 to 20. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their threats, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are, are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. 
and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be, may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, David. Well, that was a, uh, a nice warm passage for a cold and wet Sunday morning, wasn't it? Let's pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for this word as difficult as it may seem for us to read. Pray, Lord, that we would have open and humble hearts to feed what you have to feed us this morning. Amen. A while ago, I stumbled on an online forum called Public Freakout. Public Freakout. It's a place where videos get posted of of people behaving badly in public. Think... (laughs) kind of grown adults throwing temper tantrums filmed on an iPhone. As you can imagine, there's a fairly broad spectrum when it comes to people freaking out in public. In recent times, of course, there's been a lot of mask-related incidents, might be able to imagine, like people being thrown off of flights because they've refused to put a mask on. Then you've got your standard kind of road rage incidents. They're often between cyclists and cars. But the most common video of them all, to me, seems to be when people get shouty and aggressive towards waiters and retail staff. Think uh, Scott and his broken helicopter from last week. <laughs> Love to have caught that on film. Now, I don't know what it is, but there's something about the awkwardness of a public freakout that means you just can't look away. But what I find most interesting, actually, is not the videos themselves, but rather it's the comment section. You see, every video that gets posted has has comments that come in where people discuss it, and the most popular videos have over 10,000 comments on them. Can you believe that? 10,000 comments. I wouldn't have thought there was really enough to say about a grown man getting upset about there not being enough lettuce on his Big Mac. You know, what can you say about that? But what inevitably seems to happen is that the comment section becomes like a courtroom. Like a courtroom. And there's judgment as far as the eye can see. And condemnation is guaranteed. It's swift and it's brutal. And the poor subject of the video will get picked apart and ridiculed and even abused. And it only occurred to me the other day, but if any of those commenters spoke to someone in public with the same kind of venom as their online comments, well, you could go and make a public freak-out video about them. You've got to love the irony, right? See, those who comment on these videos, they're actually not much different to those they enjoy condemning. Interesting that. It's the same tragic irony that sits at the centre of this next section in the book of Romans. 
Last week, Scott walked us through a dark and disturbing picture of our world, didn't he? It was basically all bad news. As we've said since we started this series, the book of Romans is all about the gospel. It's, it's soaked through to the bone with the good news of Jesus Christ. But the thing is, the good news makes no sense unless you first come to terms with the bad news. If you don't know what the problem is, then you won't be looking for the solution. And so that's why the beginning of Paul's letter is so dark, friends. He is breaking the bad news. Last week, at the end of chapter 1, Paul describes a creation that has turned its back on its creator. People have exchanged the truth about God for a lie, he says. So now they've, they worship created things rather than the one who created them. And, and the rejection of God has actually led to the rejection of life as he designed it to be lived. That's what Paul's describing. And that's actually why this place is so broken. It's like we've, we've chosen to ignore the manufacturer's instructions. That's why it's broken. We haven't followed the design, and so now the warranty's been voided, and there are no refunds. Friends, that's bad news. And unfortunately, as we come to chapter 2 today, we see Paul's not quite done yet. There is more bad news on the way. Last week, it was bad news for bad people, right? For the depraved, the greedy, the malicious, and the murderous. People who are obviously behaving badly, just like those who feature in a public freak-out video. This week, Paul's delivering bad news to a different group. It's like he's now addressing those in the comment section, the well-behaved citizens who pronounce judgment. This week, Paul's got bad news for good people. So it's worth saying you thought last week was confronting, put your seatbelts on, because I think today's passage could actually be more confronting. You see, in chapter 2, Paul switches from talking about them out there, he starts talking about you, us, in here. And what is the, the bad news for good people? Well, firstly, Paul says you actually do the same things. You do the same things. And that's a problem because God will judge even your secrets. Perhaps the worst news of all is that try as you might, in the end, your good works won't work. So first, take a look with me at how Paul begins the chapter. Chapter 2, he says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Having, after having called out the wickedness and depraved acts by them out there, Paul's like, now let me talk to all of you who were sitting there smugly, arms crossed, slowly shaking your head in disapproval. I've got something to say to you. Now, you might be sitting here thinking you're better than them, but guess what? You're not. You who pass judgment on them, you actually do the same things. 
See, Paul knows the craftiness of the human heart. And he's, he's exposing it here. See, Scott alluded to it last week. Uh, but we all seem to have this kind of default setting, don't we? It's weird. We'll be lightning quick to, uh, to condemn the faults of others, but then glacially slow when it comes to considering our own. It's true, isn't it? We've got razor-sharp vision to spot when other people fail, but then this bizarre kind of blindness to our own failures. And if you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, I don't do that, congratulations. You're perfect. As in perfectly proving Paul's point. (laughs) You see, that's the problem. We don't see. We don't see it. And in fact, it's that very blindness that leads us to look down and judge others. I'd never do something like that. Not me. Friends, it's hypocrisy, plain and simple. You who pass judgment do the same things, Paul says. That's almost a textbook definition of a hypocrite claiming to have higher moral standards than is actually No one likes a hypocrite, especially hypocrites. (laughs) Funny that. You know, some of Jesus' harshest words were reserved for people who were blind to their own sin. And it was always those who were the best behaved, the teachers, the Jewish leaders, those who strove to follow the rules the closest. Hypocrites, Jesus calls them. Whitewashed tombs, he says, beautiful on the outside and yet full of death on the inside. Unfortunately, hypocrisy wasn't just an ancient Jewish problem, friends, it's a modern Christian problem as well. A few years ago, McCrindle released some interesting statistics on attitudes towards Christianity here in Australia. It's pretty interesting. And when it comes to people considering the Christian faith, the second biggest turnoff after church abuse is hypocrisy. Does that surprise you? It shouldn't. I mean, why take the Christian way of life seriously when Christians themselves aren't even prepared to take it seriously? It's hard to fault the logic. Friends, the problem is pride. Pride, that's what drives hypocrisy. Spending life always looking down on others, at them out there, thinking as if we ourselves are better, as more together, as if we're more disciplined, as more whatever, right? It's pride that's doing that, and it's not just a them out there issue, it's our problem. It's our problem. It's an in here you and I problem. And Christians make the worst hypocrites. They really do. They make the worst hypocrites because we, of all people, have no space for pride. Because we know the lengths that God went to in order to clean up our mess. Friends, the antidote to hypocrisy is humility. It's humility. Before we can speak into the mess that's around us, we can't ever forget we're a part of this mess as well. Paul's bad news for good people is that 
you're actually a part of the mess too. And because of that, God is going to judge you as well. One of the earliest memories I have was as a young kid over at a friend's place. I was, I was in his room at one point on my own, playing with his toys, uh, probably a little carelessly, a little roughly. I ended up breaking one of his action figures, completely snapped it. Now, what do you do in a situation like that? You toss it under his bed, of course. I figured that, that when he eventually found it, at least he wouldn't know it was me. How interesting. That even at such a young age, right, we have that impulse. We know that feeling, don't we? When you've done the wrong thing, to try and hide it, to try and act like it didn't happen. But here's the bad news, especially for good people. When it comes to God's judgment, there actually is no hiding. There's no bed you can just toss it under. Because God sees everything, including everything sitting right there under the surface. Today's passage talks a lot about God's judgment, doesn't it? In fact, it's about as much, if not more, than he spoke about it last week, which is saying something. And what is Paul's point? Well, it's this. God's judgment is inescapable. The most chilling verse of all, I think, is, is there in, in chapter 2, verse 16, where he says, God judges people's secrets. Your secrets. My secrets. I mean, what, what a horrifying thought that is. What are your secrets? The things about you that no one else knows. Things about your past, what you've done, or even stuff that you are up to right now, this week, that no one knows about. We all have secrets, don't we? Even good people have secrets. Those things that we conceal away in the dark corners of our heart. The bad news, Paul says, is that actually there are no secrets. There are no secrets when it comes to God. And there is a day that's coming when he will judge all of us, including our secrets. Everything. All of it. It will all be called to account. And on that day, there will be no place to hide. No place to hide the thoughts that you've had about others. Those, those wicked, vile thoughts. Things that you thought about that no one else knows. That no one else will ever know. The truth is, God knows. And a day is coming when he will call you to account for it. It also goes for all the things you've said under your breath, out of earshot. Awful, spiteful things that, that no one could hear, that no one will ever hear. But God heard. He hears. And on the day of His wrath, you'll have to give an account to Him for every word. And all those things that you've done or the, the things that you do when you're on your own, things no one has seen, things no one will ever see, what well, God sees, He's watching. And He sees everything you've done and everything you do and one day He will demand 
and account for it. It doesn't matter who you are, Paul says. God shows no favoritism. There's no wiggle room. On the day of God's wrath, Paul says, he will repay each person according to what they have done. The day when God judges people's secrets inside and out, and there will be wrath and anger, trouble and distress for everyone who has ignored the manufacturer's instructions. Now, good people, when they hear about the possibility of God's judgment day, they hope that their good works will outweigh whatever wrongs they might have done. That having lived a good good enough life might actually save them, spare them from God's judgment. But for a final time, Paul delivers the bad news. Your good works won't work, Paul says. Your good works won't work. At this point, he's really talking to the Jews in his audience. Because you see, the Jews of his day believed that they, they would be declared righteous by God simply by way of being Jewish. That by having the Jewish law, by practicing Jewish rituals like circumcision, he mentions in the passage, that these things would make them right with God. Not so, Paul says. Take a look with me at chapter 2, verse 13. What does he say? It is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. The kind of obedience that God's law demands, it's perfect and it's persistent. And that, of course, is where the problem lies. You think you're a guide for the blind, Paul goes on to say in, in verse 19. You think you're a light in the dark? an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children. Verse 23 says, You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? You see, the Jews had God's law, and yet they failed to uphold it time and again. They fell short. Repeatedly. Persistently. And it goes for all of us as well. Paul takes a moment actually to address those who are not Jewish, the Gentiles. They might not have the Jewish law, Paul says, but they have a moral law that has been written onto their hearts, what he calls their conscience, that sense of right and wrong, that sense when I was a young child to just throw throw the, the action finger under the bed because I knew I was wrong, I knew I'd done the wrong thing. We all have that sense, Paul says, and so whether you're a Jew with God's law or whether you're a Gentile with the the law written on your heart, we all have the opportunity to obey and yet we don't. Think about it for a moment. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, none of us live as well as we would like to, do we? We don't. We are all less than we want to be at least in some ways. And even when we set rules for our own lives, we can't even uphold our own standards, can we? Can we? It's why like 90% of New Year's resolutions end up failing. If we can't help but break our own rules, what chance do we have then of perfectly obeying God's holy laws? Zero. Zero chance. 
But you want to know what the, the biggest reason why good works won't work? It's because the problem is actually far greater than good works. You see, the long list of, of depravity that, that Paul unveiled in, our, in chapter 1 last week, it's actually just, they're just symptoms of a much bigger problem. The fact that they've turned away from him, that they've rejected God, that they're living life as if God doesn't even exist. That's the real problem. Consider the parable of the lost son for a moment. I know most of us here will be very familiar with it. It's like Jesus' most famous story. The younger son who goes and demands that his father gives him an inheritance early and then he goes off and he wastes it all on wild living. You know, it's not the son's misuse of money that's the real problem in this story, is it? His greatest sin isn't financial. It's relational. It's the fact that he's gone and demanded his inheritance from his father and then abandoned him. That's the real problem. Think about it this way. Would it change the situation if the son, instead of squandering his inheritance, if he instead invested it and then he used the proceeds to, to build a hospital and an orphanage and then donate to, to 12 different charities? Like, does that make it any better? Not really. He's still the lost son because he's still estranged from his father. The relationship's still broken. So it actually doesn't really matter what the son goes and does with the money. He's rejected the father. And there's actually no amount of good deeds or wealthy donations that can make up for it. So it is with us. When we think that our good works can make up for a life lived having ignored God. Our problem isn't simply a moral one. It's a relational one. And if we're living life estranged from God, then it's the relationship that needs restoring. It's why your good works won't work. They can't solve the relational problem. And so as good as our lives might be, we remain under God's judgment. And Paul finishes his argument by, by stating things as clearly as he can there in verse 9 of chapter 3. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, he says. This is really the climax of where he's been going. And you can tell it's the climax because kind of like a crescendo at the end of a symphony, he then rattles off these eight quotations from the Old Testament, each one saying, basically saying the same thing. There is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away climax of what he's getting at because friends that is the bad news it's it's the bad news paul has been breaking for the last 80 verses everyone and he really means everyone is completely and utterly ruined goes for the lawless and the godless ones who live outwardly wicked lives and it also goes for good people as well those hoping that their good works might outweigh the bad. Friends, the truth is, in this state, we are all utterly without hope. Let's pray. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) 
We can't leave things there. And neither does Paul. Neither does Paul. Now, technically, I'm straying into next week's passage. Don't tell Bruce. So all I want us to do is just notice the first two words of the next verse. Read with me. Chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, Paul says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Verse 21. But now. But now, Paul says. The form he uses in the original Greek, it's like putting these words in bold. Like he's shouting them out. But now, after 80 verses of bad news, 80 verses of darkness and despair and confronting us, with the brokenness of our world, suddenly everything pivots on these two words. But now, this is the good news. But now, something seismic has occurred. Something has happened. Something, or rather I should say, someone has changed everything. We get a taste of where Paul is about to go next in the very short but profound conversation Jesus has with one of the criminals hanging next to him on the cross. Jesus, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me. But now, what an experience that must have been for the man. Having lived a life of crime so bad that he was being executed for it. He meets Jesus just hours before his death. And then that afternoon, he finds himself in paradise. Imagine as he arrives, what that conversation must have been like. Welcome, sir. Why are you here? Me? Oh, I, I, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Because I, I said, I, I don't know. What? what? I'm going to have to get my supervisor. Supervisor comes over. Okay, so I'm going to need to ask you a few questions. Just bear with us for a moment. Tell me, have you been reading the scriptures? No? How often have you prayed? Never. Never. Okay, what about, what about the synagogue? Were you on the welcoming team or... I never went to synagogue. You never went? Did you ever give money to the poor? Oh, I certainly, certainly stole money from the poor. So, okay, I'm, I'm confused. Tell me, at least tell me you're clear on the doctrine of justification by faith. What? Finally getting frustrated, the supervisor just says, look, look, sir, we're not getting anywhere. On what basis are you here? He thinks for a moment. Because the man on the middle cross said I could come. Friends, there is now a new way of restoring the relationship between us and God, and it's through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the good news. We'll get to hear just how good it is next week. 
But this has been a heavy passage today, hasn't it? When we organised this series, we were not planning to end the way I'm ending now. But this week I was reflecting on this message in the middle actually of working out at the gym. And I suddenly realised we can't end this sermon without offering us a chance for repentance and faith. We can't spend two Sundays walking through the darkness of our sin, sitting in the shadow of God's judgement, and then not get the opportunity to ask for forgiveness and commit our lives to Him. Perhaps for the first time, or perhaps again, I actually stopped in the middle of my gym session just that I could write this down so I wouldn't forget. And maybe you've had a similar moment this morning, just realising all of a sudden that you've been living your own way, living as if God doesn't exist. Or maybe there's there's secrets in your life you realise you need his help with. Maybe it's just realising that your good works, they won't work. If any of that describes where you're at, today, I actually want to invite you to take this opportunity right now to come back to God, to say sorry, to ask for his forgiveness. And you know, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you can know for sure that God will answer that prayer. He's going to lead us in this prayer together now, up on the screen. If you're ready to come back to God, you're ready to stop relying on your own strength and you're ready to trust in him, I invite you to pray it along with me in your own hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am sorry for ignoring you. I am sorry for sinning against you. Please forgive me. From this day forward, help me to live for you in all that I do. Amen. Amen. If you uh, just prayed that prayer for the first time, or the first time in a long time, the good news is that God has heard you and he has forgiven you. Our final song, God of grace and God of glory, is a fitting way to finish. Let's stand and sing. Just story, bring
things to say before uh, we head out for morning tea across the courtyard and in the function room. Uh, the first is to say that if you've uh, prayed with Nathan to come back to God, it's a wonderful thing that God has moved you to do today and we rejoice with you. Uh, taking a step like that is a significant step for anybody, uh, the first of many in following Jesus and we'd love to be of help to you as you turn back to him and begin to follow him or follow him again. Uh, so if you'd like some help with that, uh, please let us know. Uh, I'd love to hear about it. I'm away for a couple of days. The staff team have got a retreat in the Blue Mountains. We're doing some planning for the next while. Uh, so I'll be away for the next couple of days, but we'd certainly love to make an appointment to see you, maybe have a coffee together. Uh, but we praise God for that and, and pray for you in your, your first steps of following him. I'll say um, next week, if Nathan hasn't done enough to promote it, uh, it should be a wonderful week as we gather to hear that next part of, of the book of Romans. Having heard the back story, the bad news, uh, the good news of Romans 3 is magnificent. But now, um, I think you can make a fair argument that there's one paragraph that we'll hear next week is the greatest, the greatest thing that's ever been written, the greatest words that have ever been penned. As we hear the wonder that the just God justifies the ungodly as we turn to him in Christ because of what Christ has done. So that's something to really look forward to next week. As we close, I'm going to read for you an ancient blessing, the ironic blessing from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Why don't you stand as I read this for us? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.